In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Uh, really excited today. We're talking and finishing up actually one of our sermon series that we started just a few weeks ago, which is Old Testament warnings for the New Testament Christian. And what we did, or the idea of it was, is the Old Testament is two-thirds of the Bible, and I had a professor that said it deserves to be preached on at least one-third of the time. We don't always do that. Generally, we teach and preach what Jesus taught in the Gospels and then spend some time in the New Testament because it so easily uh, applies to us as Christians. Now, the Old Testament, sometimes it takes a little bit of work. As you look through some of these scriptures or the stories in the Old Testament, you think, well, that's 2,500 years ago. That's 3,500 years ago. It doesn't really apply to us. So what we did is look at some of the warnings that God gave his people and now we uh, apply them for ourselves today. We covered stubbornness, uh, sinful stubbornness, seeing very clearly we should be doing one thing, but in our sinfulness, we, in our stubbornness, we want to do something else. Uh, we looked at greed, kind of a universal sin that everyone agrees is wrong, but uh, who is greedy or who you'd point out as greedy isn't always so clear. Generally, it shakes down to, does that person want more than I have? Then they're greedy. If they don't, uh, then they're probably seeking their needs. That's not always the case. Someone could have gainful employment or could be wronged by their employer, and they're just trying to work it out. But greed is a warning. Stubbornness is a warning we looked at. Uh, rebellion uh, just a couple weeks ago, and then idolatry last week. Had a great series. We're wrapping it up today, which is kind of an odd thing. We have a lot of preschool parents. We're glad you're here, some of you, for the first time. So it's kind of like inviting someone over for a birthday party at 8, and then you show up at 8, and they're like, well, that's the last gift. So much, uh, so much for that. So sorry to bring you in at the end, but we've got exciting stuff coming up. Um, Holy Week messages start this Sunday. We've got Palm Sunday coming up, and then a Monday, Thursday service, Good Friday service, and then, of course, Easter, and we're doing a new thing, which is 8.30 and uh, 8 o'clock, I'm sorry, and 10.30. And in between that, the first time we've had two services in a day, in between that we've got an Easter egg hunt for the kids and also a breakfast. You can come however you are, jeans, it doesn't matter, just show up uh, for breakfast and enjoy it on us. But today, uh, we're going to be talking about the last of these Old Testament warnings. We're going to be looking in the book of Isaiah. And in the book of Isaiah, we see apathy. Now, apathy isn't always so clear a sin as other sins. Uh, generally, as we're going to look at in a little bit, we, we talk about greed or stubbornness and these other things that are very visible. There's no apathy police necessarily. But we're going to be looking at uh, trying to understand in our culture, what is apathy? Usually you read advertisements or you get advertisements and it's a call to action. You should be doing this. You should have a break today. It doesn't say, have you considered the mental benefits of a break today? It says you should have a break or you should buy this car. Go and drive this car. It doesn't say perhaps you should do this. Now, it depends where you're from. We're pretty black and white in our state, uh, but some states it's not quite so clear. Montana, if, if you're from Montana, I'm not sure if you recognize it, but if you visit Montana, they're not quite as hot or cold as you would show up in another state. If you go to like REI in Washington, you start talking about climbing gear, the guy will say, hey, it's all good, but this is the one you should get at our store. And you're like, okay, I, okay, let's do it. Uh, you go to Montana, and while you're in discussions, my friend has explained this to me, and I don't believe it, but we're looking at like a tent or something, and, you're, and you say, hey, that looks like a pretty good deal. He goes, hey, you know what? I think it's a better price, don't at Bob Ward's. And you're like, what? It's like, yeah, I think they got a better price. It's a good tent, but they got a better price. You're like, shouldn't I buy it? He's like, no, it's a good price. Go over there. And they kind of steer you away. They're not quite, even their drinking driving slogan. Have you ever seen that one? 
Ours say like click it or ticket. So it's like if, or, or something like that, or it says don't drink and drive. That's what they say in Wisconsin. Uh, not everyone takes that advice, but it says don't drink and drive. But what do they say in Montana? Most people don't drink and drive. It's not, I'm like, most people don't drink and drive? That's the extent. So I'm not saying Montana is an apathetic state. It probably just depends on what you're talking about when, you're, when you get into it. So apathy is a fascinating thing that we don't always talk about. Eleanor Roosevelt uh, said this. She said, so much attention is paid to the aggressive sins such as violence and cruelty and greed with all their tragic effects that too little attention is paid to the passive sins such as apathy and laziness, which in the long run can have more devastating effects. There isn't an apathy police that I know of, is there? Saying you should really do something. We don't, it's not something actively even talk with your kids about, I don't think. If your kids are stealing, you'd have a little sit-down with them, wouldn't you? If your kid's sitting on the couch, do you always have a little sit-down with them? You might say, hey, let's stand up and talk about this. Let's go on a walk and we'll have a little discussion because it's not something that's always coming up. But what kind of effect does that have? Long term, if someone's apathetic towards something, they have no interest. Those who are smart say in a marriage or those who had marriage would, uh, married would recognize that the opposite of love is not hate. Single people might say that. and We've discussed this before. The opposite of love is apathy. Someone doesn't care. And maybe you've been on the receiving end of apathy. Have you ever been there? Uh, we play basketball on Friday nights. We really enjoy it. Uh, what's pathetic is I'm a better basketball player now than when I was in my prime, like an 18, when I should have been really good. Uh, so I was on the basketball team, and I was the last one on the bench, which was, I was okay with. We'd smuggle in candy, like in our water bottle and things like this. Once in a while, we saw the floor. Once in a while. But we loved it. I, I loved being on the team. That's really what I wanted. I knew I shouldn't really be on. I was wise enough. Some kids don't recognize it, or more, actually more parents don't recognize their kids shouldn't be on the floor. I recognized that. I was okay with that. But the coach would yell at us and say, you should be doing this. Uh, get down here. Shuffle your feet. Do this. Go there. Go there. Did I mind when they yell? I've told you this before. No, it didn't bother me. I could accept that because I'm trying to improve. What is the saddest day in someone's sports career? When the coach stops yelling. The opposite of love is not hate. He hated that I couldn't do what he wanted. But if suddenly you take emotion out of that and there's apathy. He doesn't care. And you sit that end of the bench. It's kind of a sickness that we struggle with when you talk about apathy. Uh, this is what has overcome the people of Israel. In our section for today, this is in the book of Isaiah. Uh, verse 16, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. Now listen how much God pleads with the people to actually care. He says, look at what I've done for you. This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, remember that, he's saying, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses and the army of reinforcements together, and they lay there, never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. He's saying, do you remember that? I'm the guy who did that. You might do to your kids that. Um, your child doesn't know what's going on in the middle of the night, and they're trying to swing or hit you or something, and you're like, no, 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 it's Dad. It's Dad. It's Dad. Remember? It's me. And they go, oh. That's what Jesus, and that's what God is trying to do right here with the people of Israel. 
He's trying to say, remember, before you start doing anything, remember me. This is what I've done for you. I saved you. But now he does, tries another technique. This doesn't work. So he says, tell you what, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. In the conversations you've been in, when are you telling people to forget the former things? Say you're in a discussion with your spouse. When are you saying, will you just forget that? She's like, thanks for bringing me flowers. And you're like, will you just forget that? Appreciate you brought us for a massage. Just drop it already, all right? What are you talking about? You're talking about your past trouble that you've caused. You're saying, can we just move on past that? God only does good things to the people of Israel. He has only helped them, only redeemed them. And he says, tell you what, don't even think about these things. I'm going to do something new. Now it springs up. Do you perceive it? I'm making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. He's talking, um, I'll explain what he's going to do. Uh, the wild animals honor me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the desert and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I form for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. In context, this is a little bit difficult, so we're going to import. In context, he's telling, um, if you read the other section of Isaiah, eventually they're going to get put into captivity in, in Babylon, and he's saying, you know what, I'm going to bring the Babylonians, if you read the earlier part of 43, to their knees. So I'm going to forget that thing. I'm going to do something for your generation. I'm going to save you from the oppression of the Babylonians. This should normally exhibit a response, correct? You ever hug someone and they don't hug you back? You're doing something good and there's no response. It's kind of the sinking feeling. Uh, you reach out to someone and you, you try and help them up and they, they have no interest. You say, um, hey, I love you. And then what happens if your spouse goes, You expect a response back. You just help someone. Uh, imagine that. Uh, you clean the windows of your neighbor's house or you mow his lawn. You expect a response. Or as a kid, you try and shovel Mrs. Kerner's lawn, I mean her driveway, in the deep snow. You expect a response that's positive, correct? I won't talk about my own child troubles. But <laughs> normally, you expect something positive. God said, listen, just forget even what I did for your ancestors, taking you out of the, the trouble of Egypt. I'm going to take the Babylonians and get rid of them. What should be the response? Good. They should say, thank you, Lord. However, yet, you have not called upon me, O Jacob. You have not wearied yourselves for me, O Israel. You have not brought my sheep for burnt offerings, nor honored me with your sacrifices, I have not burdened you with grain offerings, nor wearied you with demands for incense. You have not brought me any fragrant calamu, for me or lavished on me the fat of your sacrifices. But you have burdened me with your sins and wearied me with your offenses. They're apathetic. They don't care. No response whatsoever to the good things that God has done. I think this is interesting. I got in a discussion with uh, someone who's here. He coached a lot of kids, and I was talking about um, maybe a family member that I have who's a hard charger and has gas. Uh, he uh, has his foot to the gas all the time. Um, of my kids, I won't tell you which one he is. Um, so he's always, he's always going. And he sat me down and he said, you know what? I coached a lot of kids in a lot of different leagues, and I would rather have a kid that's hard to slow down than a kid to speed up. I thought, huh. He said, all these other coaches wouldn't touch some of these kids because they're always zipping around. They won't pay attention. He said, I took them all and we'd win the championship 
but I'd rather have that than a kid who's sitting on the couch. Because a kid who's sitting on the couch at 10, what do you think he's going to be doing when he's 35? Probably sitting on your same couch. <laughs> right? I mean, at least if you've got a kid who's moving, you can direct him to good things. I know physics says an object in motion stays in motion. An object at rest stays at rest. But at least if they're going somewhere, you can steer him. And I could say, look, do good things for the Lord, or he'll end up in jail. I mean, but at both of those I can deal with because he's not on my couch when he's 35 years old, right? Apathy is something, it's like a disease that takes over and you don't even know what to do. How do you wake someone up from apathy? How do you wake them up? God tried to say, look at what I had done in the past. Did it work? He says, look, I'm going to do something for you in the future. Did it work? I asked you before if you've ever been on the receiving end of apathy. It's probably the most sickening feeling, especially if you really, really love someone. Because, as we said, in marriage, you know that love and hate are really close. Really close. And at times you say, <laughs> and then you give a hug. But apathy, there's just no response. With your kids, you understand that love and hate is really close. Probably better with your brothers or sisters. Who do you have real arguments with? Like the store clerk? You got issues. You're at Walmart and you start throwing down and thinking, what is it? They need a brother or sister. I mean, what is the deal? Right? Because if you really love someone, you ultimately care for them. You want things to be good for them. And then that's where this friction comes. Right? Because you're so close and you love each other so much. But then it's, it's just like a hair between love and hate. Apathy are the two totally opposite perspectives. And who is on the receiving end of Israel's apathy? God. Dimitri Martin uh, talks about a filler word, sort of. He's one of my favorite comedians, but he talks about sort of. He's like, it's just a filler word. It doesn't mean anything, but it kind of depends on what it follows, doesn't it? So he said things like, I love you. Or, you're going to live. <laughs> or, it's a boy. I mean, it, it kind of it depends. It's just like a filler word. What has God called you to do as people? He says, I want you to love me and follow me. I want your life to have no offense in it. I want you to be devoted to the things of the Lord. I want you to raise up your kids. And when you look at God straight in the eye, do you look at him and say, I've done it 100%? Or do you look at him and say, sort of? God said, have you always had perfect language? And you say, sort of. Have you, ever, uh, have you always been devout to me? Sort of. Have you always uh, tried to be devoted to me and, and regular worship? You could even ask your friends could ask you that. Are you regular in the way that you worship the Lord? And I think you'd probably say, well, sort of. Kind of depends what you expect. Again and again, we look at how sickening apathy is. And how do you think the Lord feels about that? Makes him sick. You ever go to a restaurant and order shrimp? Shrimp's good cold. Shrimp's good's hot. What happens if it's room temperature? A friend of ours just went to Applebee's. He said, I shouldn't throw Applebee's under the bus. And his food was cold and then not quite hot. And that's not good, is it? You ever have cereal? I mean, you can have warm cereal. You can have cold cereal. But lukewarm milk cereal? Jesus uses that same term when he talks about the Laodiceans. This is a Christian church that he's talking to in the book of Revelation. He says this. 
I know your deeds, that your deeds are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. Because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. As a kid growing up, I thought that is the weirdest thing ever. At least they're believers, Jesus. And Jesus is saying, believers who are not even doing anything, I'd rather spit them out of my mouth. It's crushing to know that God is the one who receives our apathy. I think it's more crushing to know what God, kind of God we have. Can you think of a single time in Jesus' life that he's apathetic? A single time. I'll give you a minute. The closest I could come up with are like four seconds. But I mean, that's like minute sermon time. It's like Canadian time. It's, it's, it's just a little different. Um, when you struggle and you think, um, what's the closest thing you could think of? I thought when his disciples came to him and said, your friend Lazarus is sick. And what does he do? He doesn't run there immediately to save him. What does he do? Does anyone know? He stays two more days. And I thought, that's crazy. He's not even shown. He doesn't care. But what happens when Jesus shows up and his friend Lazarus is dead? He weeps. The shortest verse in the whole Bible, Jesus wept because he cares. 5,000 people haven't eaten his disciples say, hey, just, just send them away. We don't have a cash. And Jesus says, I have compassion on them. And he feeds them. God says, uh, this is what I expect of you. And Jesus says, I do it full circle. God says, this is what's necessary. And Jesus says, I am absolutely committed going to do this. Again and again and again. Why do you think we call it his passion? I read somewhere the only way to get out of apathy is if you have a purpose and a plan. Jesus had a purpose and a plan. He says, my purpose is you. And my plan is to live perfection. And I'm okay with nails going in my hand because my purpose is you and my plan is perfection. He's okay going on a cross because his purpose is you and his plan is perfection. He's okay being put in a tomb even though he is God because his purpose is you and his plan is perfection. This is a passionate man that was not hot or cold. He says, I can't stand that. When they started misusing his temple, what did he want to do? He makes a whip and charges them and says, get out of here. The disciples, they, the kids are coming to him and they're saying, hey, get rid of these kids. And what does Jesus say? Let the little kids come to me. His disciple Peter suggests just for a second that he shouldn't suffer and die. You might be familiar with this story. His disciple Peter suggests just for a moment, you know, Lord, may it never be that you would suffer and die. That seems like a positive statement. And does it, you know how that ends? Jesus looks at him and says, get behind me, Satan. Can you worship the devil, Jesus and the devil? Impossible. Jesus says, you are for me or you're against me. And if you're for me and you recognize what my purpose and my plan is, there's a response that comes with it. The Holy Spirit has changed you for what Christ has done, a passionate Lord who was never apathetic to what the Lord's plan was. He cried tears of blood or drops of sweat of blood because his purpose was you and his plan was perfection. He's in heaven now and is he hanging around in a barker lounger? He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. He's working for you. All the Lord has asked of you, someone who has been changed and turned and changed around, that's what repentance means. 
is that you follow him, to know him and love him. And on the last day, built up by the Holy Spirit, God can say, how have you done? And I'm going to say, God, I've done a sort of good job, but not too hot. But I do know a passionate Savior who loved me, who did it perfectly, and who followed your commands to perfection, and I'm with him. Because he had a purpose that's me and a plan to make sure I get there. Amen.